What's up, pod listeners? Somehow, some way, out of the two million podcast series out there, you've stumbled across or maybe even actually made the decision to download Tahoe Tap. Weird on the ladder there. <laughs> Mike Perrin and Rob Galloway here, and we figured, hell, why not? Add one more episode to the 48 million that are out there in the podcast universe. <laughs> it's, sure. it, that number seems low to me with as many as I've Probably. seen. And we're yeah. pretty specific here with the Tala Tap. As always, some highlights of all the hard work from the Tala Daily Tribune and Sierra Sun teams here locally in Lake Tahoe, followed by quirky but worthy national headlines to stick in your back pocket. And then our adventure-themed portion detailing best early waterfall options, and then the latest spring skiing that you have here in Lake Tahoe. And then our finale, you ask, Jackie Chandler from Sustain Tahoe, where we discuss stewardship, geotourism, and the shared vision of Tahoe's future. So thank you for joining us here. None of this would be possible without thanking Lake Tahoe Aleworks. They've got a handful of things going on, but they're two staples that everybody knows about. And if you don't, you need to go check it out. Lake Tahoe Aleworks at the Y on the California side. And they serve up some great pizzas, entertainment, and self-serve beer. And then over at State Line, nestled in between the casinos, where they are full-on fist-pumping every <laughs> Thursday through Sunday. It turns into a club of family-friendly throughout the day um, there at Lake Tahoe Aleworks State Line. Check out their website. Google them. Check them on, out on Yelp. A solid option for anything you need. So like I said, Rob Galloway, he's done all the, the headline crunching for your local news. Take it away, my friend. Yeah, and as always with these news notes, you can find the more detailed uh, stories on our websites, either TahoeDailyTribune.com or CRSN.com. We, we just scratched the surface a little bit here on the podcast. We don't want to go too deep um, into any of these things, but figured I would start it out because it's always interesting to see how the counties and towns around the lake are dealing with VHRs or STRs. And Mike, I lose track of you know which acronym goes with which area, but they're basically the same thing, whether it's vacation home rentals or short-term rentals. But the latest comes from Truckee, where town council has adopted a cap of 1,255 short-term rental registration certificates. That's a little less than, than 10% of the housing units available in Truckee. It was also the same number of active registrations at the end of 2021. Uh, there was a change in the fines uh, as part of this. This first violation jumps um, from 500 bucks to 1500 bucks, And the second basically doubles those. And then any violations after that, 5K per. Uh, with this decision, of course, you know, you're going to have some pushback from property management folks and Airbnb, of course, town council, they did acknowledge that not everyone's going to be happy, but it doesn't mean that they're not listening. Um, so I, you know, I'm sure this issue isn't over. This thing is, you know, abundant and crazy out there in every single County across the basin. So it's not going anywhere, not in Truckee or anywhere. Um, and then, you know, Mike, a lot of people were interested in, and I think you were the one who, who kicked this out really, uh, in learning the resort closing dates. So figured we'd throw them out here because, uh, they are coming up soon. So April 10th, you got Diamond Peak, April 17th, Homewood, Mount Rose, Sugar Bowl, North Star, Boreal, Soda Springs, big handful there on April 17th. Then on the 24th, you have Heavenly, May 1st is Kirkwood, and I still don't think that we have heard palisades or mammoth um and, and we're going to touch a little bit on these like you mentioned mike this uh last gasp of the resorts in the adventure segment but I, I did you hear anything yet on palisades or mammoth have you heard anything since then 
Nope, I did some did some deep digging on the closing dates, and they like to hold out as long as possible. They take it into technically the summer, and we'll we'll talk about that um, here in a little bit. But nothing announced officially yet. All right. Well, jumping over to Douglas County, a proposal to increase county workers' pay by nine percent this year was approved by commissioners. The bump came in in two parts, basically a two percent cost of living increase plus a one-time adjustment of seven percent. I don't, I don't necessarily get how they labeled the one time. So is that like you can never use another 7% increase again, or it's got to be like 6.9 or it's, I, I don't get the one time, just at least how they stated it. It seemed a little weird to me, but that unanimous vote by the commissioners, it wasn't to implement, but rather give the county the go ahead to get it rolling. Uh, so I guess there's maybe a chance it doesn't happen, but it, it, that's going to happen, right? I mean, it has to happen. They're, they're not going to say, nah, we don't want to give ourselves a raise. You're seeing it across the board. I know some, you know, dispensaries down in the Carson Valley that are, you know, paying $25, $35 an hour to trim marijuana. You know, it's like, (laughs) these are government workers. Like, let's get, let's speed up the timeline a little bit. (laughs) All right. And then a quick note for those of you who are golf lovers and uh, love the IVGID maintained courses at Incline Village. They're going to be discussing, I think it's six o'clock tonight as we record this on Wednesday the 30th. Uh, they're going to be discussing a possible rate increase to or a couple of areas for, for 2022. And Mike, you and I hit up the mountain course last year. Which do you prefer over there at the, at the Ibgid? Between the championship and the mountain course? Yeah. Yep. The championship for sure. There's way Absol- more room for air. Uh, Absolutely. A lot more driver. Yeah. I mean, and, and it doesn't feel like a municipality technically, which it is at all. I mean, that mountain it, course is. It's tight. It's a little tight. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's difficult. It'll eat you up. Yeah, I need I need some room for a shank here and there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Here and there, every hole. Every hole. Well, no, there's, there's, you know, those one holes that keep you coming back, right? That's like, how the hell did I hit that shot? That's fantastic. One. Yeah, you're correct. One. Yeah. All right. And then my, <laughs> my last note here, earlier this week, the fire chief for South Lake Tahoe submitted his resignation. That's going to be effective May 6th. We still don't know necessarily all the details, but uh, Battalion Chief Jim Drennan, he's going to serve as the acting chief. Acting chief. And I bring this up, um, Mike, because this position was vacant for, for quite a bit of time before this last hiring. Um, and it turns out that, you know, this hiring didn't last too long. So, you know, there's probably concern there, but I have to imagine this is not an easy job. Um, you know, maybe we need to develop some kind of marketing campaign to really sell this position, you know, something like rainbows and cookies. And then once they sign, you know, in blood on the dotted lines, it's like, nah, here's all the moving parts that you really got to do. Um, you know, I, I joke with that because I, I just hope we can build on the good things that were done, keep moving across the board, uh, you know, positively, but you know, from the grandstands here, it just seems like this is a really important position to fill ahead of what's become worse and worse each year, which is fire season. And, you know, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but uh, I hate to end on a down note too. It's kind of crappy. Yeah. I mean, it's not a position you like to see high turnover on. You want somebody, you know, you know, steering the ship that knows a lot of precedent, not that these guys don't, but um, yeah, we need somebody long-term to, yeah. it's, it's, I, I'm sure, you know, there's many gray hairs that come with it right out of the gate. So probably, yeah. Not envious one bit. All right. So what do you got on the, uh, the national news nuggets? All right. Well, this one's fun. Uh, Rob, do you have any uh, New York to Hong Kong flights uh, planned in the near future? No, no, unfortunately. Uh, I was going to give you a little tip to upgrade your ticket for some extra leg room on that one. Uh, just announced Cathay Pacific Airways is going to reroute its New York to Hong Kong flight to avoid Russian airspace. 
in what would be the world's longest commercial passenger flight by distance at 10,326 miles, just slightly over 17 hours. But that's still not the longest flight on record. It's been going on for a while. Singapore to JFK is 17 hours and 31 minutes, but only 9,500 miles. So thinking there's some tailwind, jet stream stuff going on there. I'm not sure how it's somewhat shorter, but longer in terms of time. I do have one question for you. I, I seem to recall reading something about this and just sparked a, a thought. Is this the flight that like you lose two days, like two calendar days? Oh, that's a good question. I, that would be pretty trippy. Um, I think wow. I, no, I, I don't have the I want to say I recall reading something about it and maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. I don't know. It's, like you said, we're skimming the surface. Skimming we're the surface. leaving it up to you guys to uh, go research if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Still, you know, there's not a no fly zone, but they're just trying to alleviate the airspace over Russia. Pretty interesting there. So uh, changing gears here, there is an anti-Instagram social app that is sweeping through the college campuses and also highlighting a problem for the Facebook and Instagram giants. Let's be real here. IG and FB posts these days are overly curated and often just show the rainbows and unicorns of life. That's where be real steps in. That's the company saying, see what I did there? Teased it. Teased it. Yeah. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe some people caught it, but there's a new unfiltered social app that's gaining traction and getting about a million plus downloads just last month alone. How it works, whatever you're doing, say at a time of 2.30 p.m. is what your friends see. Every day, be real um, programmers, moderators, uh, they are prompted to take a selfie and a front-facing fr- pic at a random time that those developers and moderators choose. Users have two minutes, just two minutes to take their filter-free pics and can't post any more. So even if this Be Real app is just a fad, I, I really like the concept because it cuts off all the fat uh, and all the, the fluff that you see out there. Right? Your thoughts, Rob, on any of it? I mean, I, I mean, we'd be taking a picture of us doing a podcast because we're recording like right at 2.30. <laughs> but, I, you know, speaking of Be Real, I mean, what does Be Real of Cypress Hill think of this whole thing, Right. He's like, what the uh, hell? They stole my name. <laughs> is that how he spells it? Just uh, I think it's just the letter B and then real. I don't oh, think there's see? an E. In it. They're in the clear. They had to. <laughs> but they might not even know who he is, who be real. It's probably a bunch of, uh, you know, less than millennials coming up with this app. But hey, good what on them for be- trying. Like I said, like the concept. We'll see where it goes. Be real. <laughs> there <Right? you> go. <laughs> All right. And then uh, released uh, last month, the Census Bureau has uh, released a record 38% of U.S. adults 25 and over, which is about 85 million, now have a bachelor's degree or higher. 9% did not make it to the ceremony in high school. 28% got to toss their caps in the air and have high school diploma as their highest level of education. And 15% Got a little distracted in college and didn't even earn a degree, uh, but they, they've made some progress. And uh, like I said, 38% bachelor's degree or higher. So a little side fact, taking it back to the history books, 1940, about 76% of the adult population over 25 had less 
than a high school education. Pretty interesting there to see the big swing in education, you know, how they saw that really uh, affecting the entire population of the U.S. So um, my last story here is microplastics. And a lot of people probably heard this one. They have already been found in water, air, fish, and food. But for the first time, scientists have discovered plastic particles in human blood, in your blood, in through your veins. Pretty wild. If you heard this already, you probably read the headline that was something around, you know, 80% of test people tested from samples collected in the Netherlands. Researchers found it was actually a small study, just 17 out of the 22 healthy males from the Netherlands. So very small study. But these plastics were between 700 and 500,000 nanometers. And to give you a little reference, 700 nanometers is about 140 times smaller than the width of a human hair. So uh, what's your thoughts on that, Rob? I don't, how do you even calculate that kind of a width? That's crazy. But I, I just I don't understand how they haven't found a, a better solution for plastic recycling yet. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how many things that I've seen. I don't know how many of them are real, honestly. But you know, I, I think a couple of years ago, I saw, you know, one company that was trying to make all the plastic recycling and they were making roads out of it. And the roads were pretty durable. Did you ever see something like that? It's like, why, why can't we find out, you know, the solution to really do a better job of recycling plastics and find a, you know, a better use for them? I don't know. I mean, all of these things get great funding and you hear about them, everybody gets behind it and then you don't hear about it much anymore. So no, you hear about microplastics in your blood. That's what you hear about. <laughs> <laughs> pretty wild, pretty wild. Uh, my final fact here, just a quick hit. Chris Rock's comedy tour tickets have surged big time in his sales with minimum prices up nearly eight times from before the Oscars. So I'm not sure what the Oscars has to do with Chris Rock or anything and why his ticket sales have surged. Uh, but pretty he made wild. A couple of jokes, and I guess the jokes were really good and people want to see him some more. Yeah, he, he gained a couple extra fans. Uh, <laughs> slap heard around the world. All right, so those are local and national news hits. We're going to take a quick break with a little beats, and we'll be back with your adventures, talking about waterfalls and spring schemes. Stay tuned. We've got our A of the TAP. It's all about adventure here. And Rob, like we said, is bringing you some of those early options around Lake Tahoe if you're not in to skiing and riding. Uh, you know, you got the boat out already. You're down in the valley. You're saying, no, I just want to enjoy spring. Rob, tell these folks what you got for them. Well, when we were putting this together, I mean, you were like, oh, you know, we could we could talk about those runs that are still hanging on. And and it was like, oh, no. And you know, when I thought about how we can, you know, you're hanging on, but I'm starting early for spring. Uh, I was like waterfalls, right? That's, that's one of the great things to see right now. But if you're going to get out and enjoy spring on the trails, the main barrier at this point in the spring is going to be, you know, whether or not there's snow, you know, the trails might be clear. Some may not, some be mostly clear, but have snow in places. It really depends on the sun. It's getting the closer to lake level or maybe the more south or west facing trails. They'll probably be a little bit more clear, but you know, I, I want to 
stipulate here while I haven't been on all these yet this year. Snow's been melting pretty damn fast over the past couple of weeks. So just, just know before you go. Um, and when I was putting together the list, I thought, you know, one of the best things was just, you know, that runoff from the snow and how big some of these get. I mean, you're, you're going to be probably all these folks are going to be in their prime right now, as far as water runoff, given what we've seen. So, uh, you know, I did, I did want to make a note there. Um, and, you know, given that snow insecurity that we have right now, I probably would not advise to bring the dogs unless maybe, you know, that trail absolutely by the back of your hand. Any, any thoughts there before I roll into my list, Mike? Solid point on the dogs. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, really slippery on the granite, the moss, snow, yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. The dogs have plenty of season to come. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I'm going to dive in. I'm start up uh, off the North Shore for Shirley Canyon. This is just past the Palisades parking lot. And please, please park here. Do not double or triple park closer to the trailhead. Uh, that trail is going to start just a little over about 100 yards away from um, uh, the parking lot to the end of Squaw Peak Road. You just want to follow the markers or at least where they're marked. Like I said, I haven't been up there, but uh, some of the, some of the granites are, they're, they're tagged in blue, but there are some other, there are some other markers there, but uh, just stay left of the Creek. And it's not quite six miles out and back. There is a tram in the summer. If you uh, want to ride it back down to the village, once you hit high camp, uh, but this is spring hiking folks. I mean, this is, this is not necessarily for the faint of heart. Uh, this, uh, you know, maybe out of all the hikes I mentioned, this one might be, the one where you'll need snowshoes, at least maybe once you get closer to the top, but what you're going to be rewarded with going to be really beautiful snow covered mountains. You got about three main waterfalls along the way, and then you're ultimately going to hit Shirley Lake. It's not an easy hike. Um, and it gets much steeper once you get to the top where you got to start climbing some of that granite. So like you said, it's, it can be a little bit slippery, so you got to watch yourself, but, uh, all in all, give yourself about three and a half, four hours or so to complete this hike. And then if I if I move down uh, towards the south, uh, Glen Alpine Falls, and for this adventure, you're going to head out towards Fallen Leaf Lake. You're going to be a little past Marina, past the fire station, down a one lane road with limited parking. And uh, <laughs> I'm really selling this, right, Mike? Like uphill both ways through the snow, like your grandfather used to tell you, or whatever. Um, I you know I I joke, and maybe it's not the easiest to get to uh, from the road, but once you get there, it's pretty damn easy to find, right? I mean, this is you can park. At the photo spot. Yeah, I mean, it's right there. It's right yeah. there. Um, you know, it's somewhat of a sprawling waterfall. Um, would you say 30, 35 foot drop or so, Mike? Probably somewhere in that neighborhood? Uh, yeah, at least. Yeah. But I mean, it, it is breathtaking. It is. I, I think it's one, you know, I wrote down here, it's one that you could sit there and just be mesmerized for hours, uh, you know, take a lunch with you, whatever. I mean, you know, this one really well, cause it's on the way to your favorite, your favorite Lake, um, for desolation in Aloha, right? Lake Aloha. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I've only taken that route a couple of times, but Glen Alpine it's right there at Fallenly. I mean, just such a hidden gem. So definitely check it out. Are we going to get in trouble? You say hidden gem. I mean, gonna... I'm going to have a chat with you after this one for putting it on the list. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. So the, the last one that I got here, Cascade Falls. This is not a hidden gem. Um, I think most, I don't say most people, but it's one of the uh, uh, more well-known, I should say. Um, it's in the Emerald Bay area. It's only about a mile and a half hike from the Bayview Campground. Uh, parking's right past the campsites. Although, you know, I, I'm a pretty terrible host because I didn't check if the road was open right now. I don't know, Mike, if you if you know if that road's open right now. I don't think it is, but I don't know for the sure. Emerald Bay uh, Highway? 
No, the the um the campground, the Bayview, um the road to the campground. Or oh the- well, I would suggest not even starting from there. You would start from Emerald Bay, so you cut out all of the elevation and you stay high and you just traverse across the uh to to the falls that way. Oh well, that I mean the elevation there is it's like three hundred feet. It's not a whole lot. So um, hey man, I've seen way. I've seen people pass out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we, we, we will do that. But just all right. So just so you know, I mean, there I I do know that there is snow along the way here, though. Um, so if you're gonna hit that trail soon, just just be careful. But once you hit that top, right, you're gonna get a great view of Cascade Lake. Um, Cascade Lake is a private lake, just for for those of you that uh, that need to know that. Um, but you're also gonna get a view of those falls. And there's like, you know, I was trying to get the exact um distance of the falls this thing ranges i mean i think the one that you saw out there most with was about a 200 feet drop i mean i don't know if you know exactly what that is but there's like all kinds of things it's like 200 and it's like 60 and it's like 600 it's like holy crap none of these are right well the way it cascades down from i believe it's dicks lake up above it it is a long long waterfall but the the main drop of it that goes into cascade lake is probably about 100 all right all right. Well, yeah. <laughs> another another you know thing that's out there because it's also conflicting um, is that you need a permit uh, to walk this because it's desolation and you do not need a permit. I did confirm that um, with the Forest Service. So just so you know, you do not need a permit to uh, to take this hike because you're right on the boundary, not quite in, in desolation wilderness there. Um, and then I had one more, and this isn't really um, a, a it's kind of like a a, a janky fall, uh, but I figured I'd mention Van Sickle Falls. It's not nearly as miraculous as everything else, but I figured I'd mention it because I think the trail is easy enough, be good for the family right about now. Um, and you get good lake views out of it. So I just, uh, I'll throw that one out there as, as kind of a bonus, but, um, but uh, any, any thoughts on any one of those, Mike, before I turn it over to you and you start uh, giving us your rundown? Yeah. I mean, just the, yeah. Cascade falls is going probably the strongest because of the way it's fed uh, throughout the season. So if you're late into the season, Check out Cascade Falls. Yeah. All right. Changing gears here for the folks that are trying to savor every last drop of winter's snow delivery or basically December's snow delivery. Uh, Going with the resorts or lifts that are open the latest into spring and some technically even into summer going beyond June 21st, but not happening this year. I got to preface this though with hours of operation generally shifting to a 7 a.m. first chair and then no later than 2 p.m. mandatory operate. Uh, I mean, they might even take it down with these warm temps we're seeing over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, they might even stop by 11 a.m. So 7 to 11, you can expect some real early hours and a big, big asterisk on these, like a Barry Bond size asterisk of conditions <laughs> permitting. <laughs> You like that one, Rob? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll start with the big dog here, Palisades Tahoe, the spring skiing capital of the world. Yes, they have it trademarked, and yet they live up to every ounce of that. Focusing on the Olympic Valley side, though, because Alpine always closes earlier, like you mentioned in your closing days there. Surely it is due north facing and very shaded. You can get some steeps in the funnel as you look up to the lookers right off the Shirley lift. That's going to be one of your latest chairlifts, Gold Coast. Lots of fun wiggles or snakes or what? There's so many, uh, you know, ski bum terms for the wiggles out there. The basically the bank slalom that are carved in the mountains over over weeks. Uh, really fun, but difficult to uh, to navigate through. Uh, but then also some 
beginner-friendly groomed slush. It turned slushy real early this time of year. And also Siberia. They did just post a, um, a blog a couple of days ago saying probably May 1st going to be uh, some of your last days, and if not the last day for your riding there. So, uh, and then they've also got the park as well. But the biggest thing that they just announced two days ago, the Cushing Crossing, Saturday, April 16th. This is one of the most infamous, top three for sure, along with Mammoth and Hood. Uh, it's a pond skimming event right at the base of Squaw. And boy, is it a party. Lots of people. And I mean, you got Jeremy Jones, Johnny Mosley doing pond skims, you know, risking their sponsorships and their knees uh, going across the pond. And then, you know, Joe Schmo that's all dressed up, you know, it, it's, it's really, really fun. And you can check it out from all the bars and the decks, and, uh, a great venue for that. Uh, and then going down South, uh, to Kirkwood, which picked up seven inches. They were, uh, the top of the podium for the Tahoe resorts out of this last storm on March 29th. And that pretty much locks them in to the May 1st closing date that they recently announced. So you're going to mainly be on chair 10, which is the wall and chair 11, the route as they call it. So chair 10 accessing the steeps uh, and you're going to have a little tricky navigation getting into that run as you get later into the season, steep and a lot of moguls up top. And then it leads down into groomed buckboard or my favorite, enjoy the roller coaster of snow snake goalie where Darren Ralves once hosted the Ralves bonsai tour, but a lot of fun ups and downs as you, as you go through that goalie uh, for the kids, for the family, for the expert, you name it. So Kirkwood may first closing, as you mentioned too, Rob, but then Boreal, they go real late into the season. You said April 17th, which is correct for, you know, the majority, the pass holders, the ticket holders, uh, which is accelerator lift topping out at uh, 7,700 feet and serving up nothing but farmed dirty slushy snow. And this one's for, Park rats only. Uh, and then, so they, they're probably shutting down a little early, just seeing the, you know, the forecast and whatnot, because then they take all the snow as much as they can from around the resort and they farm it into their spring snowboard and ski camps where they have kids and pros from all over the nation, the world come out and train for a month and a half, two months, whatever the conditions permit on doing big jumps, half pipes, rails, all of that. So park rats only, Boreal late right off of Highway 80. Uh, so those are your lift access, but then your closing day parties as we round out the season. One of my favorites is the Kirkwood Patrol tradition. tradition. That is where the patrol guys go up and they go along the ridge from chair 10 over to chair six. And on the very last day at the closing bell, sometime around one or 2 p.m., Everybody's out in the par parking lot, barbecue and having fun. Put this one on your list for May 1st. And they throw the Abbey bombs off of the ridge up there. And, and, you know, they go in sequence down the ridge. And it's just a great sort of a longstanding tradition that everybody's hooting and hollering and sort of get those chills going and, and really feeling the spirit of winter uh, exploding and dying. Because <laughs> that's the last day. But then if Sierra was in motion, you do have April 9th and 10th is their 75th anniversary. We talked about that, but Sierra customer appreciation day is what they call it. It's always the Monday after closing day, but everybody knows it as pirate day. Everybody dresses up as pirates, of course. And it, it is, uh, again, 7 a.m., 2 p.m. This is not happening this year. I want to make sure everybody knows that. But next year, uh, don't get caught. 
on the Grandview lift on, you know, between anywhere from noon to 1 p.m. because there is a massive snowball ambush for anybody coming up the lift. You'll, you'll get anywhere from 200 to 300 snowballs coming at you as you load off the lift. It is so cool, so fun. And then everybody that gets off says, well, I'm going to get that next person back. And they add to it and it just snowballs into a, a really fun time. So check out those closing day parties. You're yelling at me for giving away secrets. You just gave one away there. <laughs> yeah yeah don't get caught there i mean that's just pure safety <laughs> uh, so those are your adventures here for spring whether it's waterfalls or skiing and riding we're going to take a quick break and be back with jackie chandler from sustainable Tahoe. stay tuned back with the Tahoe Tap, the time you've been waiting for, our interview portion or the P part of Tap, all about people and diving in a little deeper. We've got Jackie Chandler, Executive Director of Sustainable Tahoe, which facilitates the adoption of responsible travel and stewardship recreation within the Tahoe Truckee watershed region, inspired by the decades of lake science by Dr. Charles Goldman. Jackie felt compelled to help. Add to the mix, May 2007, when she attended a South Lake Tahoe tourism conference where she met the executive director of National Geographic Center for Sustainable Destinations, who introduced her to the innovative at that time concept of geotourism. And then the rest is history. Thanks for uh, joining us here, Jackie. So, uh, you know, Sustain Tahoe was formed back, like I said, in 2007, 2008. So for someone unfamiliar with your work over that time, give us an overview and recap some of your greatest achievements since then. Well, I guess it started in 2008 or nine when Norma Santiago, uh, who saw I'd been talking to her about geotourism and the possibility and that the first step is identifying the unique assets of an area. So she put together some funding to start a asset mapping effort. And so Penelope Curtis and I, she's a person that's also been involved in this. We went out to El Dorado County and we held group meetings and got people to identify the unique assets in their area and how they could be hosted in a way that would be immersive, fun, and meaningful. And that is sort of the basis for how Tahoe can transform itself by looking at what we have here that's unique, which is so much stuff, and how we can host it in a way that will be um, fun, meaningful, and transformative and convert visitors to stewards. That's the goal. So the things I'm the most proud of that we've done is 100% volunteer organization is we produced and hosted the first ever Lake Tahoe Stewardship Congress in 2010. And that led to the forum, um, the demonstration of four Tahoe expedition, expositions of stewardship that lead by example, known as the Tahoe Expo. And we demonstrated how stewardship hosting with fun and meaningful activities could indeed transform and convert visitors to stewards. And this is our really our greatest contribution to the effort of 
the Tahoe Basin to become sustainable. And all that compiled into, there's other parts of this, it could be a whole segment on itself, the Geotourism Implementation Framework. This is the comprehensive roadmap of how we get there. So Tahoe has everything we need to be a world leader in sustainable tourism. And our, we hope our legacy in this will be what we are contributing right now is a stewardship pilot program on how to train a dedicated team of people to make sure we get to the goal. So that's sort of a high level, but those are the greatest achievements so far, I think, that we've put out there that have a lot of other moving parts, but that's that's an overview. And you can see more in-depth links and all of that at sustaintahoe.org uh, for the whole list of history on that. But in that time, what have been some of the main lessons learned along the way and how did those lessons help shape the plan or vision moving forward? Well, as you may remember, John Muir failed to get Lake Tahoe, our national treasure, to become a national state park because private holdings and interests prevailed, right? So today, private holdings and interests are still in conflict with that 100 feet of clarity. So this is the greatest lesson, the greatest challenge, and what we have in front of us right now. So because of this, the onus is really on us, the private holdings, the invested businesses, and the residents to help host because we chose to live next to a national treasure that didn't become a national park. So the lake's survival depends on our ability to lead by example. I mean, it might be good to add it to the welcoming package. Part of your responsibility as a local is to help travelers become better guests in the basin. I mean, if you don't want a vacuum, tell people to take off their shoes before they enter your house, right? So there's some real DNA here that we know how to do this, but there hasn't been a uh, infusion of a, a shared vision on this. And now we've got short-term rentals. I mean, it used to be destination marketing organizations, you know, chambers, visitor authorities, they would direct a lot of that tourism traffic since the 50s, but digital marketing and social media drives a lot faster. And Most definitely. Yeah. I love that analogy of uh, vacuuming. And, you know, I've heard over my time here in Tahoe that we actually get more visitors than Yellowstone, Yosemite, and I believe it's Glacier all combined in one year. So, but none of the funding, none of that federal funding. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. You're, that's right. Because we're not a national park. Right. And yeah. so I, I think this has been one of the biggest, most painful things for me to watch, especially through the pandemic and everything, all those signs, you know, go away, leave your trash. I mean, I, I've actually, I'm actually an advocate of visitors. I, I really, uh, I think visitors can be the heroes in this story, but you can't get Chinese food from a Mexican restaurant. So we, we're not gonna, we have to present a menu that encourages the visitors to choose activities that do no harm. And we're not doing that. The, the, the marketing protocols since the sixties have not, have not been directing visitors toward activities that are conducive to sustaining Lake Tahoe. So that's why there's so many NGOs, right? Those are nonprofits. They're actively out there trying to educate and protect things because there's so much cleanup because we don't say take off your shoes when you enter the sacred space of Tahoe, the center of the Washoe culture, right? We don't say that. And so people don't metaphorically take off their shoes and they enter the temple of Tahoe and uh, there's a lot of cleanup and 300 nonprofits, 2.8 billion 
in federal funds to constantly clean up, clean up, clean up. And you know what you tell your kids, if you don't want to clean up, don't make a mess. But we don't front load a different activity to set a different expectation so that we wouldn't have a mess at the end. Anyway, this is also why Trinomics is so important. Trinomics is .org, nonprofits, .gov, agencies, .com, businesses, have to work together to host the visitors of this very sensitive, special watershed. And nobody moves forward till they all move forward. If you leave somebody out, it doesn't work. So this is what we did. We demonstrated, this is our legacy. We demonstrated Trinomics in all four of our expos. We got agencies, businesses, and nonprofits to work together hosting visitors to fund meaningful activities that did no harm, enriched their lives, led special memories, and still made the area money. And it's a replicable, scalable formula that could serve visitors all year long by spreading them out and guiding them to ways to interact with the watershed that does no harm and make way more money for way longer and get the hundred feet of clarity. That's, that's what we bring to the table. So Jackie, I'm, I'm curious to, to know, I mean, cause you had mentioned your advocacy was inspired by Dr. Charles Goldman, you know, among others um, and their Lake stewardship in the sixties, you know, what, give us a little bit of history about what was being done back then that inspires you now, or were, are there things then that can still be taken now? Well, Dr. Goldman established a baseline for, for the stewardship required to sustain this ecosystem, right? The whole UC Davis and the Lake Heather Sigali carries this legacy on. And he was raising funds in 1999 when I met him for the Tahoe Hatchery. And I first met him and experienced his passion for the lake. And it woke something up in me. I mean, this was my game-changing moment. I was so taken and inspired by him to, I first wanted to understand what was it about this lake? And then how would one motivate a pivot toward incorporating this wealth of wisdom he had, you know, and the carrying capacity of this water into the marketing and hosting protocols that since the 60s haven't been considered. So what was happening during the 60s? Well, there was some wake up around the Lake Tao Basin. I mean, some of the sad things that happened is we filled in, you know, we took out the kidneys of the lake, filled in the marsh, and created the Tahoe Keys, which has made it very difficult for the lake to filter the water entering from the largest stream. We also did get the sewage out of the lake, moved that out. We kept a bridge from being across Emerald Bay. So that was thanks to, I think the League to, League to Save Lake Tahoe led that and public, public demand. And, um, and we formed, because a Goldman invited Clinton and Gore here, they formed up the Executive Summit. And that could be a, a stewardship Congress if it was a little more inclusive, because I think that there should be a stewardship Congress here every year. But the other thing is the TRPA formed up the regional BIPAC, uh, not the regional, the state, both states come together. It was a uh, federal bi-state BIPAC. compact. Yeah. And it's got the nine thresholds. And if you look at the nine thresholds, which really should be the Bible in the welcoming kit of everybody that comes here, or you could just look at it online. The first one um, on water, the threshold is 97 feet. And so, well, you know, right, we have a way to go. Anyway, the most interesting thing, though, that didn't happen in the 60s, it might have been more in the 80s, was when Steve Wynn pushed legally to get two-stroke jet skis off the lake. Were you here when that happened? Well, I don't know if I was even alive. Okay, that's right, in the 80s, that's true. You're probably oh, right. just, just on the cusp. 
Um, <laughs> that's right. I forget how long time has gone. So anyway, what's so significant about this is that two-stroke jet skis used to be allowed on this lake. And I remember when I first moved here and they were just, rah, rah, rah. and for whatever his motivation was, he fought and he won to get them to be prohibited to be on the lake. But the most, the best takeaway here is that a whole industry, the ski industry pivoted and four stroke jet skis became the more desirable model. So what does that say? That says that we are on a world stage and how the things we do here in Tahoe, how we lead by example in stewardship is influencing uh, industries, tourism industries of the world. I mean, Jeremy Jones, look at the influence he's had walking up mountains instead of taking helicopters. And so there's, uh, I think that that's incredible. So anyway, those were things that made me see how it's not easy, but perseverance can further. Yeah. And soon we'll uh, hopefully see electronic, uh, electric boats out there. I know yes. uh, we had a demonstration yes. last summer with the Nautique out there and uh, yeah, a big insurgence of that in the industry. So hopefully that's the next wave of the future. But going back to your analogy of uh, vacuuming and you know, telling people to take off their shoes, one of your main programs is the Walk Softly campaign on your website. Elaborate on that concept in um, the Incline Village Earthwalk site how that all came about as well. Well, all indigenous cultures recognize that relationship is the currency of all living systems. And in order to trade on this currency, you need to understand the habitat you're in, how and what to give back to keep that currency flowing, right? Because nature doesn't hoard. And so this is why indigenous people and the Washoe included make offerings, sing songs, dance, share gratitude and blessings and all around the lake and the habitat, the forest with the wildlife. I mean, our ecosystem provides benefits of, what did they estimate, 140 trillion per year so that we can breathe, right? The earth provides these types of benefits. So it doesn't, you know, it, it's just not in our modern culture to thank the water, thank the air, thank the wildlife, right? Thank the forest. So the idea of an earth walk in working with the Washoe people, we realized that this is, their main thing is their relationship to this land. I mean, 10,000 years, they didn't leave much of a trace. So they had to live within the carrying capacity of this ecosystem. So um, at the same time, we were looking at that learning. They've been a part of every event we've always had. Pinnell took a course from the iNaturalist program, which is about really understanding from a scientific standpoint, your ecosystem. And we thought, wow, what if we could you know, this, this seemed to be a, a trending thing with forest bathing and stuff like that. We thought, why don't we call it an earthwalk? Because we wanted to honor the Washoe people here and have these earthwalk sites from South Lake to Pyramid Lake honoring whatever Indian territory they were on, like a Paiute-inspired earthwalk, a Washoe-inspired earthwalk. And then the Gallus Dungle, those cedar bark teepees that you see, there's some in Meeks Bay, they're, they're around, they look like a, anyway, they're, they're, they're the traditional shelter of the original people of the land that you know are still here, the Washoe people. But mostly they just look like the visitors go, oh, that must just be some history. They take a photo op. So we thought, what if we tie it to this earthwalk? So it's a little simple, mindful walk so that we can invite travelers to touch nature more carefully with this little mindful walk. We have a little guidebook and you start at this time travel portal, which is the Gallistunga, like you step back into 10,000 years. And then you take this little walk and there's this little guidebook and it's got navigational signs. The first one site we've completed is at Incline Village. 
and it's uh, around Third Creek, which I don't know if you know this, but it's the only fully restored creek all the way to the headwaters. And it's where the Lahatan fish are respawning. That's their native place to spawn. As you know, the Lahatan is the one native fish of the lake. And so it's a very special creek. And it's almost because it's uh, been restored, it really is like you're going back in time when things were more in balance, nature was more in balance. So you get to kind of touch that. So we're inviting people to do that. And we're seeking to set up earth sites from South Lake to Pyramid Lake so that this immersive adventure can be one of the first activities trailer tra travelers do, kind of like going in the mudroom. And then they you know, would take off their shoes in their mind because they would have this deeper sense of place. And that would set up a different expectation and behavior when they left because when you connect, you care. And when you care, you share at a different frequency. So then they share on their social media, hey, this is a really cool thing to do. And you know, you have to walk very softly to be able to hear, feel, sense, taste, sense the natural magic of this place. So this is a really cool thing. You should do this. And can you see how that would be the take off your shoe moment for slowing people down and letting them feel the immersion of the area? So that's that's how that came to be. And that's why we're promoting it. And of course, we're working with the wash of this site in particular, Ben Rupert and his son, John, were the ones that put up those golf dungles. They also put one at the library and the one in the Tahoe Vistana. And we're trying to tie them though to not just be a photo op, but be a a transportate, you know, transport people into really the juice of why they're here to have those meaningful experiences. Jackie, in your opinion in research, what are maybe if you just boiled it down to one behavior or the the main the single most important behavior that needs to change for both visitors and locals to help the effort achieve, you know, the highest level that it can? Well, the trick is our destination has very special needs to survive tourism, right? And these needs need to be fully considered in the tourism hosting menu protocols, like what we've been talking about. So the key is to connect what a traveler wants to what the destination needs. Okay, so what does a traveler want? They want to feel welcome. They want to explore, discover, be renewed, have special memories. What does a destination need? They need to stay relevant, prosper, stable, have local well-being, and preserve the assets. So here's the thing that needs to change. The hosting side needs to market, promote, and guide visitors to choose from a menu of activities that will sustain or enhance the unique assets of Tahoe. And we demonstrated that. Just go to the site, look at the Tahoe Expo. We demonstrated what those activities would look like and how you could guide and host them. We've done it. And National Geographic presented their formula, and we have everything right here to do this. So we need to put out a different menu. We need to just close the greasy spoon and open the health food store and say, nope, <laughs> just like Rayleigh's one. You know how they don't, you can't get Coke and Doritos in the Rayleigh's one market in Truckee. I really applaud them because what they're doing is saying, we don't want to contribute to the obesity and the diabetes and the unwellness of our culture. So we are going to offer mm -hmm. healthy food, real food. And some people have been upset about that. And this is what will happen with Tahoe when we change our menu and become like a Rayleigh's One Market. No, you can't get Coke and Doritos here. I'm sorry. Yeah. But hey, we have very healthy food. You will feel amazing eating the food in our store. Well, and you talked a little bit about, you know, that the menu side of things and, and we bounced back and forth as far as correspondence before, you know, we, we started down this road or, or started recording here. And, and you had mentioned that one of the most critical or maybe the most critical element to help achieve this 
is that the public needs to know. Uh, but if, if I turn that around and I ask you, what is it that they don't know? Okay. So, so first of all, um, there's, so there's this new RFP. This is a request for proposal that the TRPA put out there. It's a shared vision for Tahoe's future sustainable tourism and stewardship recreation. So this is a new effort. Um, I don't know how much you've been following the RFPs that get put out by agencies, but we've, we've been here somewhat before by trying to take a vision and make it tangible and, and change the, change the, the protocols of tourism or different aspects, you know, workforce housing like that. Right. So here's a new one. And so the public's going to be invited to participate. There's going to be public workshops. An outside consulting firm has been hired. They're going to start maybe next week. I mean, maybe they've already started. It's, it's an effort that's coming on right now. And so what the public, for this to be successful, I mean, I'm hopeful for this consulting firm. They've got their own formula for destination transformation, but they're in D.C., okay, so they're going to come out here and, and this is a common thing, hire consultants outside because maybe they have a better perspective. Um, and that's why I, I approached you because I think there should be a check-in podcast every month or so and interviewing how these meetings are going, the public, because this is going to affect everything in the lake if, if we're successful doing this. But here's what the public that I was talking about, the one thing that they need to know. What I've seen, and granted, I've only been here 23 years, is every time these efforts happen, the people that are leading the efforts and the people that are participating already have full-time jobs. They're already overwhelmed with just trying to survive here in different capacities or getting paid to do certain things or are already um, aligned with certain requirements. So there's never been a dedicated team. And so what I see as the, the golden moment right now is what if with all the colleges we have here, there was a certified program on sustainable tourism and so many young people would love to join this career path where they would be taught here in the destination the caring capacity that we've talked about the indigenous knowing that i've been talking about combined with what this consulting firm is bringing their expertise on whatever their formula is or the 12 principles of geotourism whatever it is that filters and makes sure that every activity that goes on the menu is in alignment with sustaining and or enhancing the destination. If we get a dedicated team that has no conflict of interest, that is not tied to a certain preset agenda, they will be able to take this effort to the goal line. And then new roles and careers will come out of that that will keep supporting it. And we've got all these colleges around here that could work together. I've worked with uh, anyway, I've got a, a background in that. And so we've put together um, a curriculum that would, would do this and incorporate the effort that's happening right now. And so my concern is that this effort comes and goes and we end up with a, another great uh, something for the file rather than a dedicated team that has nothing but to make this transformation happen. And to make the transformation happen, you have to go back to the roots what is the caring capacity? What did Goldman tell us? What is indigenous knowledge? What do the Washoe know to make sure that we are in respect and appreciation with what it means to be here? And then what filters make sure that we are looking at the long term for how we sustain this? And then the visitors become the heroes. They become the heroes, not the enemy. 
of the residents. They become the heroes in this story because you welcome, you would welcome them because they are coming here to sustain and enhance. And then of course they're going to eat, sleep and shop and drop money so that people can have jobs. And that's, that's the easy part, but that can't be the driver. It's just so I think ironic. You, I think you really hit a nerve where you said the visitors can be the hero. Oh, you said that earlier in the podcast and yes. uh, that, that speaks volumes right there. But you mentioned that request for proposal of the RFP from the TRPA for the 20 year shared visions roadmap for Tahoe's future sustainable tourism and stewardship recreation plan, a mouthful there. <laughs> and uh, you hope that sustainable Tahoe is the spearhead and is the main player in that, but there's a ton to unpack. Name the one big element within this roadmap that people need to you pay attention to when they see it uh, coming out in the near future. Well, what the, what's going to happen is they're going to have these public meetings and they're going to ask the public what they'd like to see. They're going to get their input. They're going to break out into groups and they're going to have their, their process, right? If you've seen how these things go, they usually go like this. And this looks like a really good group, but the, the, the key is if in this process, the, if the consultants would hand off their expertise to a dedicated team, hopefully of students of this generation, 18 to 30 year olds, you know, that are ready to sign up to be not only part of this effort, but to stay in the destination, be paid and supported to, to make sure these changes happen. I mean, <laughs> let's see how deep do I go here, but this is, this is the one thing. If there's no dedicated team that has only one purpose, just like our organization, we have one purpose to accelerate the adoption of sustainable, responsible travel and stewardship recreation. But the, the, the trick is we're all volunteers, right? And we're a very small team. And what we've done is we keep, we have the implementation framework we've demonstrated in all these different ways. But what would be more powerful, what, what really needs to happen, even we need it and the TRPA needs it, the chambers need it. None of them can take on an extra workload to do this because when you're talking about having a shared vision, so it'll be easy to get the shared vision. Yes, we all want the lake to have 100 feet of clarity. Yes, we want the bears to be not killed on the highway, right? We can all agree. Yes, we want clean air, clean water, healthy habitat. Yes, we don't want any fires. Yes, we want to you know, get drunk and not have a hangover right? That's what we want, right? Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. So, so in order to, in order to really do this, it always sounds good in the meetings. Yes. And, and we put all these things, this is going to be the task. Who's going to do the tasks? Who's going to do it? The chambers of commerce are beholden to the commerce, the eat, sleep and shop money. So they're busy, right? The visitor authority is busy marketing. They've got all the TOT money to market who's going to do, who's going to take the tasks from this and make it happen. It sounds good. Everybody wants to do it and everybody needs to be involved. I mean, the agencies here are, you know, the forest service owns 80% of the land, right? We've got the forest service. We've got the TRPA Tahoe fund They're They've been doing a lot of good things. You know, these are all good agencies. Everybody's doing good work in what they can, but this is a big vision. If we really are serious about not vacuuming up after muddy feet, we're gonna to have to change the expectations and everything. Now I've seen on the visitor websites now, um, they're, they're talking much more about what we've been saying for 15 years and people before us, not just us, about stewardship and sustainability. And that's, that's really good. They even have a stewardship pledge. 
So great. So we're setting up a different expectation. And then when the visitor comes here, who's hosting that? So when you go to your Airbnb, is there any follow-up to, I mean, I was an Airbnb host for 10 years a while back and I had a special geotourism menu. I tested my own theory and I got people, some people to not even bring in their cars, let alone when they did drive in to my lodging, I was an on-site host. I had them park their car and not even use it. I said, no, here's a bike, here's a bus pass, here's how you get to the magic, here's the hikes. I had a whole notebook of activities that were walking, biking, busing from the house. And so I set up a menu and I guided them to choose from this activity. And I mean, you know, 5,000 visitors from 50 different countries converted to stewards. They became well, stewards. The they feet. had no idea. <laughs> they didn't know that their actions were defining the future of Tahoe. If driving around the lake was the only thing they wanted to do, they weren't helping. And they weren't even going to really be able to touch the magic of why they come here. They weren't going to get that meaningful, immersive experience. So... Well, we appreciate your your insight on all of this. Uh, you know, a lot of experience and uh, thought obviously gone into this, a lot of hard work, volunteerism, and we'll be paying attention uh, very intently to how this all plays out. So uh, thank you for the time here on, on the Tahoe Tap. We appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, coming up on the next episode, we've got Devin Middlebrook, native of South Lake Tahoe, the youngest mayor in SLT history, and his biggest claim to fame of all, son of Paul Middlebrook. <laughs> he always brings a solid mix of progressive thought and local precedent to every conversation. We are really excited for that one to be released on April 14th. We'll catch you then.